Hello and welcome to Pleasance Bites, brought to you from the Pleasance Courtyard right at the heart of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. In this series, journalist Mark Fisher is joined by some of the brightest talents performing on stage and screen, from highlights of a life spent on stage to their experiences right now at the largest arts festival in the world. This is your chance to hear what makes the world's finest performers tick. In this episode, the first of our 2018 season, Mark is joined by multi-talented writer, director and performer Jeremy Stockwell, whose celebration of the legendary Spike Milligan, a sock full of custard, is delighting audiences daily at the Pleasance. Just one of over 200 shows performing every day here at the Pleasance this August. Still to come in this series are chats with Robert Bathurst of Cold Feet and Downton Abbey fame, and the theatrical family Sean and Josie Dale-Jones. Hit subscribe to be the first to hear them in the coming weeks. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy some nonsense to cure a crazy world. Hello everybody, and welcome to Pleasance Bites 2018. My name is Mark Fisher, and I'm delighted to be back in the uh, Pleasance Cabaret Bar for the first of our series of interviews with uh, interesting and uh, prestigious and prolific, particularly prolific today, uh, uh, performers no on, pressure on the Pleasance. <laughs> well, actually, the, I'm just kind of hesitating because uh, the danger today is that my introduction for, for, for today's thing is going to be longer than the rest of the um, <laughs> event because uh, uh, Jeremy Stockwell, who is with me today, is going to be uh, uh, is involved in at least six shows, and he can probably throw a few more at me. Uh, uh, and so just for me to describe all the different shows that he's doing is going to take me a little while, but, but bear out because it's all fascinating and interesting stuff. I'm going to do that. I'm going to ask Jeremy some questions. Uh, we're going to chat away and we will happily continue to chat away. Uh, but uh, as ever, you look, you seem to be a bright and attentive audience and I'm sure you'll have lots of questions uh, as, as we go on, perhaps about Ken Campbell, perhaps about Spike Milligan, perhaps about none of those things. Uh, and uh, we'll try and get a few questions from you uh, before the end. And I think Heather, who's there at the back, will have a uh, roving microphone that uh, will enable everybody to hear you. If you would like to hear this uh, uh, interview again, it's going to be a podcast and it'll be on the Pleasance website, pleasance.co.uk. Um, but first, to introduce uh, Jeremy Stockwell, who, uh, as I say, um, I, I personally have been entertained doubly by him already on Thursday, I think it was. Um, I went along to the Ace Dome twice at the, at the, uh, over in uh, the other section of the Pleasance, and uh, first of all saw Ken, in which uh, Jeremy plays Ken Campbell, and uh, if you don't know who Ken Campbell is, we will explain all in a minute. And uh, uh, actually, this is, <laughs> oh no, I'll come to that question later. Um, uh, and he was then also playing Spike Milligan in the show that is called A Sock Full of Custard, uh, in the company of Chris Lana. Uh, which is uh, there at uh, the Pleasant Dome um, a little bit later on in the evening. In addition to that, four shows that I haven't seen, have, uh, there's only a limited amount of time that anybody's got, but somehow Jeremy has also managed to direct um, Angelos and Barry, which consists of um, Angelos Epithimo from, um, you might have seen on the BBC, and uh, on Channel 4, Barry from Watford. Um, he's also done The Thinking Drinkers, which is described as an intoxicating bar hop through history at the underbelly, uh, a, a show by Alison Skilbeck, which is called Are There More of You, which is for tales of women with only a postcode in common, and that's at the Assembly Hall, and how to do acting properly. Uh, this is going to be my first question, actually, how to do acting properly. <laughs> I'm exhausted uh, already, just by, listening. By Zoe Cunningham, which you can see at the space at Surgeon's Hall. But So, so Jeremy, uh, yeah, how do you do acting properly <laughs> and, and direct four shows? Is there an answer to that? Oh, my good Lord. Well, there we are. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, can I go home now? 
Uh, yes, uh, these four shows came about because I was approached and asked to do them. Uh, curiously, uh, with how to do acting properly, there's a woman uh, and she's very interested in acting and she runs a business and she's been in acting for two years and she said, could I coach her a bit? And I said, well, well I don't know really. And so I worked with her a little bit and then she said, would you direct my show? I said, uh, what's it about? She said, I don't know. <laughs> said, well, that's a good offer. Where do we start? And then she started to talk what she thought acting is about. And I thought, well, that's quite interesting because it's very corporate and it's a businesswoman's point of view of acting. I thought, this is quite watchable, you know. And there are graphs that show the flow of talent to time and also measurements. Of I couldn't, God, this is an extraordinary new way of thinking of acting. So Zoe's doing that one. How Are there more of you? I have a dear friend called Alison Skilbeck. Some of you may have heard of her. She was on The Archers for a long time. And she, uh, and she wanted to, she's made a show, she's written a show, these four women, four different women, and each of them physically a different, uh, um, uh, uh, their voices are different. So it's an extraordinary weaving of four characters together uh, and, and women of a, 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 in a, a sort of time of crisis in their life, really. It's very funny, very touching, very heartwarming. Uh, do go and see it if you can. She's wonderful. Oh, and her husband, Tim Hardy, is doing a wonderful show there, too. So look out for those two uh, uh, on, in the mornings. That's at the assembly. Yes, it's the assembly. <laughs> and then uh, Angelos and Barry are two lovely fellas, uh, uh, Dan Renton Skinner and Alex Lowe, and they are, they're, they're fantastic actors, first and foremost, but their comedy is extraordinary. And so they approached me, would I make a show? I made a show with them last year. It's a bit rude, <laughs> and, 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 and it's very funny, though, and it's heartwarming, and they're lovely fellows, and it's very touching. And my dear friend Chris Lana, who you mentioned who's in with the Top Full of Custard, he's written songs for some of these shows, too. Um, the Thinking Drinkers, these wonderful journalists who write about drink. I don't drink alcohol, you see. Well, for me at Edinburgh, I suppose, but I don't drink alcohol. But, but they asked me to, to direct and make their show. And again, that's a little bit cheeky, but very funny. And, uh, and that's all very good. So I, d I do love directing. I do love making shows. And it's a great delight to be working with such talented people uh, at, at Edinburgh. Was that your question? Well, it sort of was, and it was and is a perfectly good place to start. And I'm just kind of thinking, like in any other city in the world at any other time, uh, six shows would in itself be a festival. <laughs> yeah, I should I have mean, my own brochure. I think <laughs> really. you should really. I mean, how, how strategically do you get about doing it? I mean, that's, that must be quite tiring, isn't it? Well, that, once the shows are up, once the four shows I've directed are up and running, then I can pop in and see them occasionally, maybe give some notes and whatnot. Uh, but once they're running, I think, well, okay, just let them run. It's like when you have a child, you have to let him or her walk, you know, so you say, go and do that. So really, my time here is taken up, really, with the two shows, with the Spike Milligan show and the Ken Campbell show. So I put my energies into that. I'm very strict. Uh, I, I, I have a, have a go home, have a little nap between the two. They're both quite tiring to do, but jolly fun. Just such fun to do. And, of course, Chris Lana and Terry Johnson, who wrote the Ken Campbell play, hasn't been on stage for 30 years since he worked as an actor with Ken Campbell. And so he's, he's written this play about Ken Campbell, and he's on stage with me. So it's a sort of interrupted monologue, uh, and I'm doing the interrupting. As, as, as Ken. <laughs> hey, do you like that? So, so Ken pops in now and again to, to sort of interrupt the monologue. So Ken does that. And, and with Spike, you can't get the wood, do you know? So with Spike, with Spike, I'm there doing Spike all the time with my dear friend Chris Lana. Chris Lana. And he's, he's a delight to work with too. 
but it's great to work with, with, with friends or people who become friends. Really, I'm taken up with doing uh, the two shows. The performance really is what I'm here to do. I'll see the shows I've directed pop in and out. But really, I have to put my energies into performance. Otherwise, I'd, I'd be even more exhausted than I am. You just gave a very good sample of the uh, your imitative abilities. I like that word. That is a good word. If it is a word, I'm going to claim it. <laughs> and <laughs> um, uh, where 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 does um, uh, regular acting end and uh, mimicry? I think you did stuff with Spitting Image back in the day. Did you? Oh, and back in and the day, my you know, is, is is there a difference between? what you might call a, a normal characterization of a fictional character and, and a piece of imitation where you're, you're basing it on something in real life? Are the two things the same? Gosh, that's an interesting question, Mark. Um, I rather like... Well, firstly, I, I sort of was a little bit troubled by the responsibility of playing people who, whom people knew. People in the room, you've heard of Spike Milligan and, 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 and Ken Campbell, I suppose. Um, and then knowing their relations or friends <coughs> of theirs, you think, crikey, I really had to do something which is about which is true to those characters i can't really there's a there's a poster which goes like that with with ken campbell pointing a finger we had this he was a full-length poster pointing a finger when we did this show a little while ago at hampstead and i thought my God, and i walked into the theater on the first day to rehearse there's ken <laughs> this pointing the finger and he was saying to me don't screw up <laughs> I don't think he used the word screw, but you know what I mean? And I think, crikey, really, I, I, I've got a responsibility to that. So if I'm just larking around in variety, which is where I started out, in variety with my, with my parents uh, when I was a little boy in the 60s and 70s, I know I don't look back old, that old. <laughs> Thank you very much. Look, his bald head. <laughs> and uh, but, and uh, so I... Um, actually, I don't need that on, do I? Um, yeah, so uh, uh, if, I, if you mess around doing you know, impressions or being on the stage in variety... Um, then you can, uh, you can take a few liberties. But if it's a play, you're absolutely right to insinuate that. If it's a play, then one really, I think, has to uh, knuckle down, l learn the lines, and, and, and be true to those characters. When I'm improvising as, as Spike, then he can be a little more charming. Hello, darling, how are you? Yes, and all this kind of thing. Uh, what's your name? Oh, it's Fred. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'd swear to do it when I'm playing Spike. That's quite good because I can just move around like that, Daddy-O, you know? Um, uh, but then when I'm playing Ken, if I, if I improvise at him, he's a little more snappy, you know? He's a little more aggressive. So I have to be true even when I'm improvising to them. Terry, I'd say very briefly, as a, as a little in parenthesis moment, I, was I, I hadn't done that much scripted stuff for a good few years, mostly devised improvisational physical theatre. And then um, dear Alan Cox, the actor, had seen me do a devised play, a little bit about Ken Campbell. And uh, Terry said, who can we have to play uh, uh, Ken Campbell? Can you do it, Alan? And Alan said, no, I don't really want to do that. He's got far more interesting things to do with it. And uh, more important things. And uh, so he said, Jer get Jeremy. Thought, and, and Terry from me, hi, oh, it's Terry Johnson. He said, uh, you don't know me. Uh, I said, what? What is it? He said, uh, do you, would you want to play Ken Campbell? Oh, okay. Uh, and then he, he, he uh, uh, shall I tell you how I got the job for that? Would that be of use? It would, but 
let's, answer the let's, question, let's just, Jeremy. No, I've just got another just question. Answer the which, question. Is, which will, will make more sense of your next answer, well, what's which would be for anybody who doesn't know who Ken Campbell is, oh. because although people, a lot of people, most people know yeah. who Mike Milligan is, Ken Campbell is a sort of oh, uh, theatrical he? speciality. And yes, what, what, one way I could introduce my <laughs> long-winded <laughs> question is, is to hark back to, to my hesitation when I was, one of my many hesitations before mm. I, <laughs> when I was introducing you, is that when I saw uh, Ken the other day, in the audience was Nina Conti. Oh. And Nina Conti is very uh, high profile uh, ventriloquist these days, you'll see her on television, all the rest of it. And she was there in the audience. And Nina, of course, had, um, uh, well, among other things, learned ventriloquist <laughs> ventriloquism from Ken Campbell. So there's an, a, 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 an idea of uh, Ken's influence, but maybe you could just say who, Ke who, is, who is Ken Campbell? Well, there we are. Hello, people coming in. Hello, hello. Late. Nice to see you. I haven't missed much. I've been prattling <laughs> on about stuff. Um, Yes, Ken Campbell was a theatre maverick, and he, uh, was, uh, he was a rather trained chap, very cooth, very intelligent, quite delightful. And he, um, when he quit RADA, he was in the theatre, and then he got a little bit bored, I think, and thought, nah, we've got to do something more interesting with theatre, hey! So he formed something called the Ken Campbell Roadshow. Right, so the Ken Campbell Roadshow, they just went to pubs and clubs and all sorts of crazy venues up and down the land playing, um, playing the anarchic theatre, which is quite well planned and well structured. It had to be, I think, to be so anarchic. And, uh, and Ken Campbell then directed something called The Warp, and it's the long, still remains to this day, the longest play in theatre history. It runs for 24 hours. And he put it on here, and Terry Johnson was in it, and uh, and that was his it was his last acting job for Tony Johnson because he had enough money. <laughs> but so, but Ken was popping up on television all over the place till death was part. He played Alf Garnett's neighbour. Uh, he knew Warren Mitchell very well. They're old mates. But he was he was a maverick. He'd try new and different things. I worked with him at the National Theatre in 1988-89, 30 years ago, my lord. And he uh, he's he was extraordinary in that he was a visionary. And I, I'm not sure whether we have such visionaries now, whether we can do the curious, odd, threatening, dangerous, sexual, rude, funny, and exquisite things that Ken did. I don't think we could get away with them now. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't know. But um, he didn't take risks. And I don't think he was a cruel or, 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 or in any way prurient kind of chap. But I think that he took great risks in making theatre happen in new and exciting and dynamic ways. Uh, so Ken, Ken, uh, Ken Campbell, sadly, I, I got to know him at the National Theatre. He directed me, and uh, it's a curious. I'll, shall I tell you a little story about about a little story, yeah, a very yeah. brief story about him? I um, I, I I got to know him after the National Theatre. I got a phone call in the early hours. Can you come over? And I said, well, I'm in Brighton. Yeah, well, can you come over now? I said, where are you? He said, I'm, I'm in Essex. <laughs> and so I couldn't. So I, I arrived the next day on the, on the bus, got to his house, didn't take my coat off. And he said, oh, come in. And he opened this door. Ken Campbell, this crazy theatre maverick, opened the door. And he said, read this. And I said, what is it? He says, read it. So I started to read it. I, it was some old nonsense he'd written. And I was reading it. He said, no, he said, that you sound too much like uh, John Le Mesura. You sound too posh. <laughs> So I, I, I was reading it, and, well, reading what he was writing, you know, and what he'd written. And he said, no, do it like that. Do it like this through your nose. So, so I, I tried to have a go. And it, in the end, I got so frustrated with him, I, um, 
I started to do him back at him. But hey, like this, you know, for all it was worth. And he said, wow, he said, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> and then he, made, he gave me a cup of tea. I had a nice cup of tea with him. And then he came out. He said, oh, just before you go, and he gave me a, a plastic bag with Arabic writing on it. And he said... It's <laughs> a huge fart went from the back of the hall. Hey, he said. No, he said. He, he said uh, he, with this plastic bag. He said, "Take this." He said, "I think you might need it." Don't open it now. So I got on the train. I opened it up and blow me down. It was his hat. It was a pork pie hat, which I proudly put on, and uh, within a week he was dead. It was as close He's as that, was it? He That's sadly died, yeah. Mm. And I mentioned this to Terry Johnson, and he gave me the job. <laughs> I didn't have to audition for it, and I just told that story and about the hat. And the hat appears in the show. Yeah, that's and what Kieran explained. And yes, because he had this idea, that Ken Campbell had this idea that, that he was fascinated by the idea of, of, of unlikely 40-end times, phenomenon, whatever. And it was, it was not exactly that he, I think, that he, not exactly that he believed them, but he liked supposing that they might be possible. Well, you, Is you that fair to say? He's a supposer. He said, I'm not a poser, I'm a supposer. I suppose things. And he liked the interconnection of everything, not just in the universe, but in the multiverse of possibility. That there's all sorts of things happening at the same time. Having conversations with Ken, he went into this in great detail. And it sh he shares something of that delight and passion from my, I suppose, I, I never met him, but I claim him as my teacher, Alan Watts, the philosopher, who talks about the interconnection of everything. And it becomes rather zen or rather metaphysical. But Ken, Ken wouldn't be doing with all that stuff. No, it's just stuff that goes <laughs> on. Ken believed in everything, really, until it was disproven. And he's an extraordinary man, really. Yeah, this interconnection. No such thing as death, no such thing as, as coincidence. I tend to agree with some of that, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, watching Ken this time, the thought popped into my head, and there's no answer to this, but you might have a, uh, you might ma make a guess. Is how do you think Ken would have fitted in the era of fake news? Because fake news is 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 is, is sort of a the, the downside of the supposition. It is actually, isn't it? I never thought of it like that, Mark. That's very interesting. I don't know. I, I think there's a sort of art to fake news. There are people who use fake news, people who work for Putin or, or America, or certainly in, in Britain too, that, that use fake news as a sort of art form. It's a sort of uh, social experiment to screw us around and get, uh, keep us confused, and then they can't... Uh, he'd, have, he'd have been on to that. They're just trying to confuse you. And, and Spike as well would have said, they're just trying to confuse us with all this crazy news going on. I think that would have been his take on it. I got a little bit of that with the Russian thing, talking about Russia with him. No, they're just trying to keep us confused, said Ken. Part of that he delights in because he was, as Alan Watts would say, rather a trickster guru. He was a trickster. He'd always pull the rug out from under you. Uh, but yes, I don't know. I'd, I'd imagine, as, as, as you suggest, that... I don't know, he, uh, he would have thought it was the opposite to all that. It, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a curious way, the way, the way, the way the world is now, uh, that there's a, you know, so much stuff going on there. It's hard to know what's real and hard to know what is phony. So we may as well just say, well, let's just get on with it. And I, I don't have a television set. I don't read the newspapers. And um, I, I, I don't 
know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do sometimes. I do listen to the radio. I'm glued to Radio 4, Radio 3, Radio 4. I live in Germany, so it's really quite a comfort to me to have Radio 4. And the way, new, the, way the, the way the news is told, and even the fake news, any news, is told in Germany about what goes on in Britain is very different to the news we get here in Britain. It's a very curious thing. It's all, it's all from different points of view, you know? Is the glass half ill or full or half empty, or how do you see it? Um, we live in very curious times. In fact, there's a Chinese curse. I worked a lot in Japan and got into this kind of Zen and Taoist kind of ways. Uh, uh, there's a Chinese curse which says, may you live in interesting times. <laughs> That's a curse, you see. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not a, it's, not a, um, it's not a blessing. Yes, they are curious times. And you were also putting me in mind of the c there's, a, there's a sort of connection, I think, between Ken Campbell and Spike Milligan in that they were both maverick spirits. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, they were. I mean, Spike's maverick spirit was extraordinary. Well, you, pr you probably know uh, more about him uh, 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 than Ken. I don't know. Ken wasn't so mainstream, but Spike was. Yes, maverick spirit. And I think that's the thing. Spike Milligan, don't forget, I in, in the 60s and 70s, was going on about green issues, ecological issues, save the animals, save the trees, save the world, uh, and, and more so than anyone I heard on the TV in that time. Wouldn't you agree? And the fact that he's talking about you know people working together, man, just getting on. It's all about love. He signed his letters, love, light, and peace, right? And it's all about that. And I think more and more so, that central message comes through, certainly with Spike. Spike would have been 100 uh, this year. Happy birthday, Spike. And I went to his birthday party. But we all celebrated this idea of love, light, and peace. And really, whatever's going on in the crazy world we were talking about just now, whatever news we're fed, it all comes back to love. It all comes back to love, light, and peace. It all comes back to people sitting in the room like this, making eye contact and communicating. And it's very rare in the crazy world, in the, the crazy industry that, that we're in, uh, everything's coming at you. But just to go, here we are in this room, and I can see your eyes and you can see my eyes. My daughter came up to me, my little daughter came up to me, and she said, what's that in your eye, Daddy? And I said, have I got something in my eye? She said, you've got a little bit of black. What's that black in your eye? And I said, what? She said, no, those two circles in your eye. You know, what are they? So I got a pen and paper, and I drew the eye. I said, this is how the eye works, darling. Oh, no, she said, it's not that. I said, what is it? What are those, what are those circles in my eyes? And she said, well, do you know when we look in the telescope out of the window at night at the night sky and there's the universe? I said, yes. She said, is that same black up there the black I see in your eye, Daddy? A little bit of the universe looking back at us? And I said, oh, darling, you, you might be right. <laughs> you might just be right. And then my little son rushes in and says, Daddy, Daddy, I've just been sick on the dog. <laughs> <laughs> And that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's what it's like to be a dad. <laughs> one of your children is a philosopher. Which oh, one they're is all it? philosophers. <laughs> they're all children are philosophers, though. You know, I've got a 17-year-old, I've got a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old, I've got a 9-year-old. And, and they come out with stuff, you know. And, and um, I think as we get older, really to listen to the children. What Spike didn't lose, and I suppose it answers your question a little bit more, is that Spike didn't lose this connection with the innocence of children. He thought 
just to listen to children. And the older I get, the more I listen to my children. Uh, because, you know, what do I know? I mean, we, are, we, only, know, we only know what we know, right? And, 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 that, and that's a sort of finite knowledge. But beyond that, all this crazy and wonderful stuff creeps in. You know, I listen to my kids a lot more. The older I get, I, I listen. I don't just hear them. Yes, I hear you, darling. No, I will really try to listen. Maybe not as often as I should, but, but I really try. And rather than just looking, I really try to see them. And I think when I see that on stage, Spike did that. You know, he'd be jazzing around in the interview and whatnot, but he'd be really listening. And the same with, with Ken. He'd really listen to you. You know? And I think that's it. And then one could say, with those senses active, we are truly sensible, sensible. You know? And, and I love to see that in acting. And I love to see that with, with, with anyone. With, with Well, you in the room, look at this. We've got this interaction now, right? And that's a, that's a groovy thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that I think, again, unites actually not just uh, Ken and Spike, but also you, is that sense of, of being in the moment. And I think a consequence, and you could comment on this, a, a consequence of being in the moment is that sometimes you can fall on your face and you have to pick yourself up and just get on with it. Are you, are you somebody who... Uh, in fact, in the can, in the sorry, in the in a sock full of custard, uh, I can't remember whether it's you or Chris refers to the, the, the my memory of watching some of the, the Q episodes. Quite often, Spike Milligan's humour didn't work. It, you know, he would try something, if it didn't work, move on to the next joke. Oh it was, yeah. and that was sort of part of what it was all about. But are, are you comfortable uh, with your clown background, for example? Um, if something doesn't work, can you live oh with that? Mark, that's a, such a lovely uh, reminder. I think that there is a luxury which isn't afforded, well, a necessity which isn't afforded drama schools or kids at school or, or art school, which is the luxury of failure or the necessity of failure. What did Beckett say? Fail, fail again, fail better. And that's what I really do enjoy. Uh, I've fallen on my ass so much in the work I've done, and that's a quite a delight for me, you know? Um, Last night, God, no, yesterday afternoon, uh, when in Ken, I completely dried, uh, meaning I forgot my words. And, and Terry is brilliant. He's on money. Well, he's reading the bloody thing, and I'm learning it. And, and, and I completely went, oh, what? <laughs> and he said, uh, Terry said, come up here and read it with me. <laughs> and I said, no, now I'm going to bloody do it. And I really dried. But then you make virtue out of that. And, you, and I said something like, uh, it, was all, it was all going well up till that point, wasn't it? <laughs> did you notice it went wrong? And, uh, and so we can make virtue out of it. Uh, when we did Ken at the Hampstead Theatre, dear Jim came along, Jim Broadbent came along to see it. And uh, again, Terry fluffed his lines and I fluffed mine. And, uh, and I uh, Jim said, oh, it was very good, he said, very good. He said, uh, I really liked it, very, very, very good performance. And I said, oh, cheers, Jim. I said, looking up, cheers, Jim, thanks. And I said, um, uh, yeah, but I really screwed up a couple of lines there. And Jim Broadbent gave a very wise thing. He said, yes, he said, but when an audience see that, we get something special. We see what happens now. You know, when something goes wrong on stage, something goes right in a different way. If the actor forgets their lines, at that moment you're woken up to now. Which begs the question, were you asleep for the rest of the bloody <laughs> show? But this way, you know, the gun's there. I've got to shoot you at the end of the second act. The gun's not there. Crikey, right now I'm alive, you know? So it's this 
coming back to this now-ness, whether that's in clown, and I think I probably did get it from clown, or from my black back background in, in, in variety when I was a little lad with my dad and mum, that, that if things go wrong, they go right in a different way. And I think that connects then also, funny enough, to that Zen or that Tao or that stuff I was doing way back in Japan. Yeah, sure, the screwing up is, is I don't think we get enough of it. You know, t the media says you should be taller, shorter, bigger, uh, thinner, gayer, straighter, and uh, kids end up, or we all end up knowing what the hell should we be. We don't know. But really, that's about, that's to sell you stuff, I think. That's, <laughs> that's to make you a good consumer. But really, if we can come home to who we are, if we can come home to now, then if we screw up and say, look, I've made a mistake. And isn't that wonderful? You know, getting something right is getting something wrong in a different way. Pleasant Spites, of course, is all tightly scripted. We don't have a single <laughs> word out of place. <laughs> it says here. <laughs> um, and uh, well, I'm, I'm, it's also putting me in mind, I know that you're a fan of jazz, and there's a sort of saying in jazz that if you play a bum note, play another bum yeah, note. Yeah, Because, man. It, be <laughs> because it becomes a, a virtue, make a virtue of it. Well, that was the thing. I, I was growing, growing up in variety. I, I played really crap clarinet. I knew two, two songs, right, but I could get by. But if it squeaked, I'd just squeak again, man, and then it would be okay. And um, uh, other musicians just say, no, no, just learn to play properly. But you're right. <laughs> so it's quite nice when we screw up. And that's because we're human. In fact, friends of mine, uh, their families weave rugs, uh, Arabic family weaving rugs. And they said they will always put a mistake in it because only Allah, only God is perfect, you know. And um, whether or not one believes in it, I don't particularly believe in religion, but faith, I think, is more important than belief. Belief, leaf is the old English word for faith, isn't it? Belief. So if we belief, we bewish it, we bewish, belief, bewish. And that's holding on to ideas, but faith is letting go. Faith is saying, do you know what, Daddy, I don't know. I don't know. And then if we screw up, we say, well, I don't know. And uh, on a psychological level, for you personally, uh, do, 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 uh, do you have a philosophy that allows you, to, that if, if you do screw up, if you do forget your lines, if something does go wrong, that you can go home that night and not fret about it or, or, to, or to just live with it? Or, or, or do you, uh, because, you know, I, I, I'm assuming, I'm guessing most people in the audience today, who, and, and I'm guessing that you're not performers, but if you were perfor a performer, it's like the worst nightmare you can have, isn't it? Being on stage and you're, you're naked or whatever it is, that would, because we don't like embarrassment. None of us like embarrassment. And so d do, you get, do you have a psychology that can get you beyond em embarrassment? That's really interesting. I never thought like that. Yeah, the, I think what it is, is coming back home to this, coming back home to now. So if something goes wrong, if we're always, well, we're, we're always in the now. We're never last Tuesday. We're never next Wednesday. We're always here and now. In the, in the now, there's a burst of creative energy. We can do almost anything in this moment of now. In now, everything's all right. Does she really love me? Have I left the gas on? Have I got enough money? No, I haven't. Uh, and all this stuff. Uh, but if we come back to now, Right now, everything's all right. Can you dig that? Right, everything's okay right now. And so when we're performing, when we're acting, whether that's on screen or on stage, we come back to now, right? And, and it's in this now, if something goes wrong, when that's, it's just okay. We can accept it as this is happening now. It's rather like the Zen painters would paint pictures, not trying to correct it, but just doing bold strokes and then seeing what it is. It belongs to jazz, it belongs to abstract expressionism, and if we're grooving around and we're playful, then we can accept 
we can turn a mistake sometimes into something far more interesting than we ever thought of. And I do that in the making of theatre, devising, directing, creating. We'll just see what, there's no real mistakes. It's a stepping stone to another discovery. And uh, if children are educated like that, I think that's quite wonderful. My kids are at Steiner schools. Uh, my other son was at a Buddhist school. This idea just, just to see what happens. If there's a mistake, let's try and put it right, or let's see if it leads to something more wonderful. Because there are so many opportunities that the universe throws up for us, and um, uh, it's up to us to, to grab them or miss them or tie things up. You know, I don't think there's such thing as original thought, but we can grab two ideas and string them together. But yes, for me, if I, could, I let go because that was yesterday. I'm not still carrying that. That's a thing. Uh, my my uh, youngest son is into football. I'm not a particular football fan, but he plays great football. He's a goalkeeper, and he plays for his local team in Germany. He's, he's, he's 11, coming up 12. And um, uh, watching the, 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 the soccer, uh, the, 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 the World Cup, when they missed a goal or when they got a goal, it's a beautiful thing. And they don't think, oh, I failed, I missed the goal. That's the game. And if you're in the game, if you're playing a game of soccer, rather like if you're playing on stage, it's called a play on stage. Why is it called a play? Because we play, right? It's not called a work, unless you're an academic. <laughs> it's the works of William Shakespeare. No, they're the plays of William Shakespeare. So we like to play. And in play, of course, we sometimes get it a little bit wrong or get it a little bit right if we're judging it, or we say, well, do you know, it's gone a different way. The idea is to try to do as an actor what the director and what the writer kind of want you to do, and not as a puppet, but in your own creative, uh, interpretive way, uh, and then see what happens. We can only do our best, but if we fail, that's a great delight because we learn. I wouldn't have learned anything, oh, I know that much, but I wouldn't have learned anything had I not fallen on my ass so many times, <laughs> <laughs> which I have done. And which is, is how children learn, isn't it? You learn, yeah. we learn as children because, yeah. because we try something that doesn't work. Well, it's true, uh, just a tiny little thing. Uh, my, my son, uh, my oldest son is 17 now, um, he was uh, two of them, he was learning to walk. Well, you remember those little brick br trolleys with little bricks in? He was trying to walk across the room like this. And I was saying, oh, careful now, careful not to. And, and I thought, you know, I've just got to let him go. And so I went the other side of the room and I said, come, and he went, come to, to me. And he went, and then he was walking to me. And Mike, he's never stopped walking, so he's walking. <laughs> but uh, my dad said a great thing to me, which, which survives. Uh, uh, he said, if, if, you if you really want to give your children, children a gift, learn to let them go. And I thought, man, that can be applied to anything. It could be applied to theater, it could be applied to, 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 to romantic relationships. Just let them go. You see, we spend our lives trying to control, trying to hold on. But the opposite of, con I must control my voice. People come to me, actors, I must control my voice. I must control my act, I really must control my thoughts, right? Well, what, look how tight that fist is, man. So to hold on to anything, we've got to do this with an open hand. And then it flows. The flow, the way, the Tao, the Chi, call it what you will. But it's all about flow. So it's the letting go is where we have it all rather than the clutching and the clinging. Hello, I'm Jeremy Stockwell. This is all my stuff. I've, I teach at Rada, you know. I've got to do all this. And I'm holding on to a whole pile of, let's say, books. You try to give me your book, and I've got, I can't because my hands are full. So I've got to put down what I think I know in order to receive your book. And it's just being open-handed, isn't it, really? You mentioned that you were, uh, you, you were born into, into showbiz. <laughs> you have, you have a, a variety of background. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, and, and actually, one of the things that I've uh, quite often in Pleasant Spites is good to talk to people to find out how they broke into the business. But you 
the, the business was in you. It, yeah. you didn't it was just broken it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it was. It was like that. Uh, I was, but my father and mother uh, are old variety troopers. Well, my dad's an actor, really, but he did many things. He painted pictures as a fireman and all sorts of stuff. A uh, very interesting character. Yeah, they they threw us on the stage when we were when we were kids, and. Um, and it kind of stuck, really. But those were the days, of course, some of you may recall, when they were pulling down the old halls, the variety halls were going, and so we were playing some of them, uh, and, and pubs, and uh, pubs, clubs, cabaret places, summer seasons and whatnot. And I can remember the smell of size, which is the stuff they used to put glue on the back of sets, or the makeup, Leishner, five and nine, little red dots in the eyes, jugglers, um, uh, mu uh, uh, magicians that would make coi coins come from behind my ear, soubrettes, fishnet tights, uh, 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 check-suited comedians, hello lad, how are you, big cigars, Sadie Corey, a little dwarf, dwarf acts they used to do, these little people, and it's wonderful, people who did dog acts or pickpockets as an act, and I grew up in all this, and it was quite a wonderful thing, and I'd stand on the side of the stage, and I'd watch my father, and I'd see the little dust motes in the light, and there's my dad on the stage and my mum on the stage. And eventually I got into that when I was quite young, uh, tap dancing and playing a few chords on the ukulele and messing about. But it was, I, I was sort of raised in a sickert painting of the old musical, really, <laughs> I feel. Those were the days. And having that background, did, did you, do you have a, a particular perspective on what is sometimes called the legitimate theatre? Well, that's interesting, the legitimate theatre being, of course, acting, and I suppose the bastard theatre being <laughs> variety, if you excuse me. But, um, yeah, well, my, my fa because my father was an, was, a, was an actor in the legitimate theatre, that was his first love, but then went into variety. Actually, he was in variety when he was a little boy in, in Wales, but, uh, but uh, his first love was actor, so I always wanted to be an actor, and I, I never really wanted to do anything else. But, of course, I've done so all sorts of other things, so I've always had a bit of variety in me whether that's the writing or the directing or the teaching or whatnot. It's a sort of variety of the spice of life. So one can't be, um, one can't get bored, one can't get tired. Uh, you just do a lot of different things. And it's also, you know, I've got to pay the rent. Uh, <laughs> and uh, does, it ha does it sort of explain the sort of natural affinity, or uh, it seems to me you have a natural affinity for, for comedy as opposed to Well, well to you see, I opposite. think, well, no, you're right, Mark, that's true. You know, um, uh, Eric Sykes said, how much he admired the tragedian, someone who could get into the real depths of human feeling, really get down there, right? And, um, but then he said, but the comedian has the antidote, you know? Uh, there's the, there's the tra tragedy and comedy masks we have, you know? And often people think that the, the comedy one is the sort of poor relation. I don't, I, th I agree with, with Sykes. I think this is, you know, there's, if, if you can't do anything, just laugh, man. Just laugh. Um, you put an S at the front, and it's slaughter, of course. <laughs> Laughter, slaughter. You put an S. But but this idea that to laugh is laughing is. Um, I've known people who've been quite poorly uh, and before they died, and just laugh, man. Laugh. You know, I think that's why we're here. Um, yeah, I love directing heavy duty Shakespeare. I love that. Uh, Titus Andronicus, Timon of Athens, heavy big. Uh, uh, pieces. I recently directed these at RADA. Um, but I love playing in comedy because if you, c it's rather, rather than the, 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 the comedy and tragedy, I think of it as the yin-yang sign. So if you're doing comedy, find a little bit of tragedy, rather like Charlie Chaplin, you know, the sad tramp. If you're doing comedy, look for a little bit of tragedy. If you're doing tragedy, look for a little bit of comedy. And then we're sort of balanced, aren't we? 
but I think uh, this is life, really. You know. um, I'll come to the audience in a second, but I'll just picking up on that question, that that that, uh, that observation. It seems to me that in both Ken and the st the story of Spike Milligan, there's a there is a sort of the fact that they're both dead, apart from anything else, a sort of pathos. Mm. Sp uh, the the with Spike Milligan. You don't go into too much detail, but there's a suggestion of, of mental illness and so on, and that connection with his, his creativity, uh, and, and that is the serious side of those uh, comic personas. You're right. It's back to the rug, the weaving of the rug. You know, there's always a little imperfection in what, in what we do. I, I think certainly Ken knew his share of tragedy, as did Spike, but this is life, isn't it? Uh, I think the first line of the Dhammapada that Buddha wrote, uh, if I... Buddhist friend gave me this book. You open it, it says, um, all life is frustration. It's the first line. Or they say suffering, but I think it's frustration. We get frustrated. We're going to die. We're going to age. We're going to get sick. We're going to lose our hair. You know, we're gonna, it's going to be tough. Uh, but uh, we know that. that is, that's part of life, isn't it? So that all goes on. So uh, rather than dwell too much on those aspects of Spike or of Ken in the show, uh, we like to play, the, and the audiences come to have a laugh, don't they, really? Yes, of course, we can dramaturgically touch those buttons which are about sadness, which are about loss, uh, which are about uh, all, all sorts of terrible things. And, and it's nice to do that in, in the drama of the piece. But I think if you're doing a play about comedians, that's just, let's have fun. Let's <laughs> have a laugh, you know. But um, it's, it, as I say, it's life. Uh, we've got about 10 minutes left. I've got more questions that I'm happily uh, willing and happy to ask, but would um, anybody in the audience like to uh, divert my comment? There's a question right at the back there. Thank you. Uh, if you could just wait for the microphone to come in your direction. Oh, I'll repeat the question. That's all right. I'll repeat those questions. They're, they're fascinating questions. One, one question is when you're directing, uh, and for, forgive me, I forget this wrong, if you're, when you're directing actors uh, with a philosophy of, of improvisation and all the rest of it, um, how do you cope when the actors <laughs> do improvise and maybe uh, go away from what your controlling vision might have been? And then the second question related to that is the idea of in a precarious industry where people uh, might have success quite early, uh, is there a sort of built-in mechanism that stops people being... Being, uh, being free as they Thank might be. Thank you. Yeah, no, those, those do make me think, those questions, actually. Um, yes, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm going to work with a, with a group of actors in a room, let's say it's a Shakespeare, when I kind of say, have you seen this play? Do you know this play? Yes, we do. We read it. We did it at school. We've seen it. I say, well, forget it. <laughs> let's start like we don't know. Like this is a brand new play. Uh, it could be Shakespeare. It could be modern. But let's start with not knowing. If I go in the room saying, this is what we're going to do, my darlings, and I'm dictating, then uh, I don't think actors like that. I don't like it as an actor. Likewise, if the actors come in, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to do my lines in this way, then it's pretty boring because they've all got a different take on it. Let's say, forget about that. Let's see what happens in the room in the four, five, three, two, maybe one week. We've got to rehearse it. Rehearsal, rehear all. So let's see what happens if we start fooling around with it and take, I take big liberties with Shakespeare. It was only written down 20 years after he died, or the, fir the first time it was written down. But anyhow, so um, 
Yes, if they are messing around and playing about, I like, if I've got five weeks rehearsal, let's mess around for three weeks. Let's really fool around. So really, I'm not saying you're going against my vision or you're going against my control. I, I have an, an idea, but I'll always uh, see what happens in the room. It's rather like in cooking. You create something in the kitchen. Oh, a little bit of this spice, let's mix that up. And you know, let's, oh, we've done too much, let's rectify it with this. So we can uh, think of making and creating, rather like a painter would. Uh, my father painting, you know, you, 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 you don't come in, this is what I'm gonna do. I come in saying, let's just see what it is. And it's more like jazz, whether that's a classical play or whether that is a devised improvisational physical piece. Chris is a writer, Chris Lana's a writer, and I'm an improviser and deviser. So when we worked, we worked in a, de in a way where we put different ideas together and different ways of working together. So I'm still discovering and learning new ways of working with, with, with Terry Johnson. He writes and he says, learn it. I say, okay, I'll learn it, thank you very much. But I'll still improvise a little bit, which he allows me uh, uh, very kindly to do. And he improvises as well now and again. So there's nothing wrong, it's just the creative process is organic rather than systematic. Does that answer that part? And then the other part being, I, when I work with actors, particularly if I'm coaching them or working with them, if they're on a movie, there's some actors who come over from the States, they're quite famous, and they'll say, uh, they'll say oh gee, I've done this movie or this, I'm doing this book or whatever, you think, okay, fine. Uh, but you know, the higher they go up the food chain, the more successful they become, the more worried they are that the studio is going to drop them, or that their picture is not going to be as good as the last picture, and they're, oh my gosh, what do I do? I, I'm really scared now. Uh, so there is, you're right to imply, there is that demand to get it right. But I think that the ones who, the ones who try not to regard that too much and just keep playing and experimenting as an actor are the ones that really shine, that really uh, cruise in on the love vibe and a more experimental, more playful, more organic. I mean, Mark Rylance being a very good casing point. Oh, yes, I suppose I like to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to play like this. So he, ha he, he, he plays, uh, he's, a, he's a great, I think he's one of our finest actors, really. I taught his daughter at Radha, she's lovely too. But this playful um, way of communicating and making theater or making movies or ma is, is a, you know, let's, there's industry over here, industry. You've got to get it right for them. And over here, there is there are artists. And if we, if we get artists in the industry, sometimes industry don't like that, but they also really are charmed and want that. But let's not be too systematic about it. Let's be more organic about it and be playful. And really, you know, it's ups and downs. Sometimes we've got a lot of success and a little bit of money, and sometimes we haven't so much. And, it, and it, it, you know, to think of yourself, live the life of an artist, live your life as a creator, as a maker. And then, and then that's fine. And then it fades away, this judgment of self and others, how good you ought to be, where you ought to be in your career path. So it's just coming back to playfulness, really. Well, we're, not, uh, we're not dancing on the earth for very long, so you may as well, <laughs> may as well make it a good dance, man. And is, I'm just thinking, is there a danger with, um, just this is true, I think, probably of any long-running show, for example, that um, the actors get comfortable in their parts, maybe they get a little bit bored, they get a little bit some inspiration, they start messing around a little mm. bit, but, uh, and, and this is certainly true with improvisation, is there, is there a point at which it becomes, um, it can become indulgent yes. and you're testing the, 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 the audience rather than, yeah. rather than actually giving them something? It's loathsome that, I don't, I don't dig that, you know, you've paid your money to come and see a show, 
let's give them the show. Now, it's no use trying to repeat the show you did last night, and it's no use trying to think, oh, that's the show I'm going to do tomorrow. We come back to this ever-present now. And coming back, as I mentioned before, to this ever-present... I never give first-night cards, uh, because I'm a bit of a cheapskate, but <laughs> I, I never give first-night cards, because every night is a first night. Every night we're doing it now. Do you see? And in doing it, now rather like taking that, 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 that penalty shot in the World Cup, we are, we're doing it always for the first time. No matter if you've done the run for a year at the RSC, or whether you're improvising every night, be true to it. Look into the eyes, rather like my daughter said, look into the eyes of the human being next to you. Come right back to now. Everyone's got a beating heart. Everyone's got a twinkle in their eye. Recognize the human in front of you rather than the actor in front of you or the character in front of you. Recognize the human right there. And then you'll just groove it rather like the finest musicians do, jazz musicians. That's lovely. Unless anybody has... Oh, oh there is. A oh, there's suddenly there's lots of questions. Yes, yes, yes. Great. I think you're absolutely right. I, yeah, I love it when audiences say that kind of thing or, or feel that kind of thing. I mean, some people go, oh, no, he's got it wrong. Uh, or following you in the text, they've got the... Pr oh, no, don't do it. Throw the book away. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you're right. And uh, we do see the human then. And it's to work as a human first, not an actor first or a character first. Because if we work as a human first, we see, we see the humanity, don't we? We see the humour in the human condition. We see the cosmic in the comic. And what... Absolutely. I think you're, that's bang on. I agree with you so much. There's one last question here. I just want to say, I walked into this room and I looked at you and I said, I know that actor. What have I seen in them? It's Pam Campbell. Wait! <laughs> He's 20 years younger. I like you. I like you. <laughs> <laughs> and slightly better looking as well. <laughs> oh, bless you. Anyway, I just want to say, Oh, cool. <laughs> well, come and see it and come and see, come and see the spike, too. They're such fun. And to do those things, to do those things, you can see um, Ken, the show called Ken, it's just called Ken, at the Pleasant Dome. It's at 3.20, and it's on uh, most days until the 27th of August. Yeah. And playing, uh, sorry, a sock full of custard in which he plays, uh, 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 Jeremy plays Spike Milligan. Um, that's at the also at the Pleasant Dome at 8 o'clock and also until the 27th of August. Um, we've had laughter. I don't think we've had any slaughter. We've done well. well. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you very much for your questions. Thank you very much for your attentiveness. Thank you very much for coming. And thank you very much, Jeremy Stockwell, for being such a splendid guest. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Pleasant's Bites and a very special thanks to Mark, Jeremy and a wonderful live audience at the Pleasant's Cabaret Bar. Jeremy's brilliant show, A Sock Full of Custard, performs 8pm daily at the Pleasant's Ace Dome this August. Grab tickets now on pleasants.co.uk and while you're there, why not take a look at over 260 other brilliant shows we have in store for you this August. Theatre, comedy, kid shows, circus, dance, magic, whatever you fancy, we have it. If you like this episode, there's much more for you to enjoy in our podcast archive, where you can find interviews with some of the best names in entertainment, 
including Mir Margulies, John Hanna, Paul Merton, Rula Lenska, and many, many more. Just search Pleasance Bites wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe so as not to miss future episodes? And if you have time, leave us a review. We look forward to you joining us again right here at the heart of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe for another episode of Pleasant Bites.